2: Hello and welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast. My name is Tally Rye, and this is the podcast that helps you with your relationship with exercise, food, and your body. And this week it's a special episode. We did what we hoped would be a live in-person. Uh, podcast recording but you know how it's been of course it ended up going online as we did do it you know in in mid-January and so this week is a special live episode we'll call it with returning guest thrice returned does that make sense it's Laura's third time on the podcast we have registered nutritionist founder of London Centre of Intuitive Eating and author of Just Eat It and the Just Eat It workbook, Laura Thomas. I hope you've listened to her previous episodes all about kind of intuitive eating. And this time, I really wanted to talk to her about intuitive eating with children and families and, you know, raising children who feel good in their bodies and feel good about food and, you know, giving reassurance to parents that, you know we don't need to stress as much as we feel like we do so I really hope you enjoy this episode we Laura and I had a bit of a chat and then people who were on the live call were able to ask questions in person which was awesome and so we were able to answer those questions too so I really hope you enjoy this podcast episode Before we get into that, I want to remind you that we have the final few places, there's literally a couple of places left on the Train Happy Greece retreat. Honestly, I can't wait for this retreat. Um, As this episode goes out, I will have actually got back from a UK train happy retreat and i am always so full to the brim when i'm around like-minded people who want to work on this stuff who want to have a better relationship with themselves with their body with food with exercise and and this retreat is really a chance to just be around those kinds of people who all have this common goal. It's 5 nights away on the beautiful island of Crete. We're staying in a gorgeous villa and we're going to be doing intuitive movement workshops. We're going to be doing dance party workouts. We're going to enjoy delicious food and head into the local town and go for beach days and boat trips. And so if you would like to join us you can find all the information in the show notes and you can find it on my website, tallyride.co.uk And it's just a reminder that if you have the Train Happy Journal and you want to hear from other people who are going through the journaling process, going through the 30-day challenge at their own pace, then you can find the Train Happy Journal Facebook group. And we are a lovely community. It's been really lovely to just hear everyone's feedback from you know different days of the journal what's been challenging what what you know prompts have you know forced them to question things and it's been really cool to hear so if you want to be part of that then we'd love to have you and once again you can find the links for that in the show notes and before we get into the episode we have to do train happy trooper of the week This week's train Happy Trooper is Mimi, and Mimi said, I started running cross country in primary school and have loved it ever since. Eventually though, I started to base my self-worth on how many miles I could total in a week, and how speedy they were. I really lost enthusiasm for the sport, so when lockdown lifted, I tried out some other ways of moving my body. Fast forward to now, and I'm much more gentle with myself. My train happy moment was this weekend, doing handstands in the pool after a lovely morning swim. I'm so grateful that exercise feels like play again. I truly do look forward to it now. Oh, Mimi, I love this reminder that moving your body should be playful and should almost have you know that sort of childlike quality of just having fun we don't need to put so much pressure and stress on it and I know that that happens so often in our adult relationships with exercise so I love that you're coming back to that childhood feeling of fun and I think that's so relevant to today's discussion as well. If you would like to be featured as the Train Happy Trooper of the Week, we'd love to hear from you. Then you can get in touch on our Instagram via DM. Just find us at Train Happy Podcast and you could be read out on the podcast. Okay, enough from me. Let's get into this week's special live episode with Laura Thomas. laura welcome back to the train happy podcast and welcome to our first ever live episode this is a virtually live episode we're currently on zoom with some lovely people who you're just gonna have to imagine are there if you're listening um in your headphones but welcome it's
1: so good to to do this with you thank you for having me i feel like this is maybe the third time I've been on your podcast yes. because this is like a crossover episode it's also the third time you've been on mine
0: I feel is like we should just in it in together.
1: Wow
0: <laughs> I, I, I would have thought I've done, only done yours
2: once but maybe I have done it twice.
1: Yeah you did when my first book came out and then when my second book came out but I'm glad that you remembered and it meant so much to you.
2: <laughs> it did, it did, <laughs> honest. It was just both, do You know, at this point, there's just been so many podcasts recorded I know. Um, at any point. Yeah, of course we did. We did one in person, then we did one virtually, of course, of course. Um, but today we want to um, go a bit of a different angle. So if you've heard Laura on the podcast before, you've heard her talk about her book, Just Eat It talk about the workbook how to just eat it and just the ins and outs of intuitive eating so i'll make sure that's linked in the show notes for people listening but i suppose we should do an intro for those who don't know you you're a registered nutritionist like i mentioned author of just eat it author of how to just eat it and the director of london center for intuitive eating which is where you are in this very moment um and I suppose for, to give context to this whole conversation, I'd love to know what led you to want to specialise in intuitive eating and in a non-diet practice um, and just lead the fight against diet culture, I feel like, in the UK. Um, people listening are like, yeah, she
1: does. Okay. Well, thank you. So that's a lot of pressure. But, <laughs> um, yeah, so I feel like I sort of had no choice but to specialize in this route. And and what I mean by that is that um, like conventional nutrition practice just didn't fit or didn't work for the people that I was seeing for the people that um, I was trying to help. It just kind of, it just didn't make sense. It didn't click for them kind of going down a weight, focused route and so when I came across first of all came across Health Every Size and that kind of led me to intuitive eating and I was kind of processing all of this stuff for myself when I came across these concepts and like I suppose went through went, went through that process on my own for myself and so then when i tried to do more conventional nutrition practice with my clients i was like "Mm, this this doesn't feel right this i can't you kind of can't go back um and so that's when i really started doing more training and more um yeah like specializing practicing in that route and i feel like yeah you just you never stop learning when you're on this path and so even like my practice when i started like six or seven years ago is completely different from how it is now even though intuitive eating and health exerciser and or weight inclusive care like at the heart of it it's just constantly evolving but kind of has that at the at its core.
2: How would you describe the way you know how would you describe what the London Centre for Intuitive Eating does you know what is the way that you support clients that is different like you said from that um, weight normative approach?
1: Yeah so everything that we do is rooted in body affirming care so whether we are working with people who um, have eating disorders who have a degree of disordered eating um, whether we're working with families and with children it's all with this kind of like underlying understanding that there's nothing wrong with your body like your body isn't the problem and we are here to work with you where you're at and work with your body and your whole self um, as you are. And we're not trying to change you. We're just trying to support you and guide you. We take an approach that's like probably quite different from what a lot of other people experience when they go to see maybe even some other, you know, intuitive eating or health, every size aligned practitioners in that we don't we're trying to de-expert ourselves. And we really put, try and empower our clients to draw out their own expertise in themselves and build that trust in themselves and in their bodies um so we're kind of partners we're going alongside folks instead of like being like okay now we do hunger and fullness cues and now we make peace with food we kind of meet meet people where they're at Um, so that's a this that's a a value called client-centered care so we're kind of approaching things from that perspective and also just with lots of compassion and lots of understanding and um yeah just trying to be as supportive as we possibly can and creating a safe non-judgmental space for people
2: and you have a very beautiful physical space as well you have a a brand new offices that you're currently in right now we were supposed to be here tonight
1: this was the original plan plan
2: had other plans for us but we wanted to do this in person but we decided we'd still make it happen and we could do it virtually um to keep everyone on the safe side but i would i can't wait we will do something where everyone can see your beautiful um offices but how does it feel to have this space this hub for um like you say this body affirming care and
1: support it's it feels kind of surreal actually when I stop and think about it and kind of think about the trajectory um you know when I started out doing nutrition practice one-on-one I was literally like seeing clients on Skype in my spare or like in the corner of my living room and then um we kind of of evolved and we got these like kind of trendy but kind of weird shipping containers in East London and then we got like our own sort of serviced offices that we shared with other people and now I have a team of can not count how many five or six of us and we all have our own clinic spaces, like you can see them behind me, we have a studio space, we have like a little shop area where we're selling like different books, we're going to stock Tally's book, we've got like candles um, with different like body shapes and sizes and jewelry and like all of this amazing, um, all these like really cool products that we've sort of hand selected Um, and yeah, so to just go from like sitting in your in the corner of your living room to having like this you know we have our own doors with a sign on the front of them it's it's pretty cool and it's pretty surreal um and so we just wish that COVID would fuck off so that we could actually have people safely in the space um what 2022 is going to be the year
2: It is it is and you've been here what do you think? I think it's beautiful. You've seen all of
1: those other I mean apart from probably my living room you've been to all of those. I
2: I know I think it's an amazing space and I feel that it feels like such a safe space and welcoming space and I know for so many people who you know have felt excluded from sort of um, anything that might necessarily be supporting their well-being in some way it feels like uh, a real positive community and uh, yeah you should be really proud and we absolutely are gonna have a live event there so watch this space because we will absolutely be um, doing another podcast together in person
1: I can't wait because that's the whole idea is like we want to bring people together. I'm like pointing over there. You can't see, but we have this like gorgeous studio space and it's really cozy and warm and welcoming. Um, and we did have an open day event there and it was amazing like at the end of the summer. Um, it was really just had such a nice feel to have everyone together. Um, and I'm really looking forward to having that again, because as we know so much of the healing and recovering, that we do from diet culture, um, sorry, I'm just letting someone in (laughs) that, that happens in community, right? It happens when we're all together and we're looking after each other. So I want to bring that like into this space more and more. And we, we have had, um, like some classes going on here. We have a baby yoga class every week, which is adorable. Um, and they like teach consent for touching the babies which I am all for um, and yeah it's just it's just really great and it was at the yoga teacher that I did baby yoga and baby massage with um, my baby and so yeah it just feels like a really nice community sort of space
2: well this is a lovely segue to also say that the other thing that has been that's very new in your life since we last got together well I think you'd had your son um, when we'd last chatted but it was all very new because you, you'd you released.
1: No I listen. was pregnant I think well oh for your podcast or my yeah. I'm losing track but yes.
2: So we had been spoken. A baby. Yeah, we had spoken about this time last year and you'd had your baby but It's been over a year since then and, you know, it's time to catch up. How has, and this is a kind of something I think that we haven't really discussed as much on the podcast, like how has it been having a baby and navigating diet culture as a new mum as, you know, I feel like for new mums, especially the pressure can only intensify and not only with what the baby's doing, but with what you're doing and how has it been?
1: Yeah, it is. I'm going to I'm going to caveat this by saying I think actually in the grand scheme of things I've probably gotten off pretty lightly a because people know what I do and b um because of the pandemic uh, we've been relatively sheltered especially in that like immediate postpartum period um Avery was born in May 2020 which was like first lockdown the world was a terrifying place still kind of is but um you know we it was like we were weren't taking any risks while I was pregnant and um then when he was born he was um in the NICU for two weeks so we were just and he had like respiratory issues so we really didn't want to risk anything with um with COVID so we were kind of buffered um but you know we've had a really terrifying experience with you know everything's fine everything's absolutely fine now but um he was in the NICU for two weeks so no parent expects that unless like you've been told you know your twins are coming early so we're gonna have to get them in the you know like um most people just aren't prepared for that and then with the like the extra layer of COVID it was just a really difficult experience um and so then when we did finally get out of the hospital um I remember seeing someone shall remain nameless um but it, you know, we, we met up in the park cause we couldn't be in people's houses at that point. And I remember like being sat there with this tiny baby who had literally, you know, just come out of the hospital and someone was like, oh, so are you breastfeeding? And I was like, yeah. Um, and they were like, oh, that's good because you know, like that burns more calories. And I was like, yeah, that's not really my top priority right now. Like my you know baby who was fighting for their lives just to dare to a day or two ago is you know that's that's kind of my priority and um and they were like oh yeah but it means that you can eat cake and still burn the calories and lose the baby weight and I was like whoa <laughs> like I'd set that boundary and I'd been like back the hell off and they still like kind of kept coming for me and um I feel like I would you know well resourced and well equipped to like bat that away but if you if you've got that coming for you constantly in that like immediate postpartum period like it just it just wears you down and like all of the I mean not that I like downloaded many of these but like any of the websites or the books or the apps or anything that you have they're all geared to like you know, here's how to get your baby body, your pre-baby body back. And here's how to snap, snap back after having a baby. And it's just like that period in time, you feel so vulnerable, your body feels so not yours. Um, and like, it, it takes time to kind of, yeah, get accustomed to not, not that your baby, your body goes anywhere, or that it's not you, but it's you know, it does take a minute to get reacquainted with your baby, po- your body post having a baby, um, and so to just be like inundated with all these toxic diet culture messages, it, it just completely disrupts your ability to like focus on your own healing and c- looking after yourself and looking after your baby. So, I do, I feel like I just like went off on one there so like reel me back in
2: (laughs) no I think that was so insightful because you're experiencing it in real time you're experiencing that pressure that you know I haven't had children you know I expect these things but sometimes even you can have done so much work you can be helping so many other people and people are still going to make comments and you still have to like you say figure them out and you know I think speaking to that vulnerability that people have is so important because you know I think we obviously talk about you know oh how I think sneaky diet culture is I think how manipulative and confronting it can be and sometimes it feels like you've just you know just say no but in that really vulnerable time I can totally understand why people could feel that pressure, and especially as it must be, like you say, disorientating to have a baby and then figure out who your identity is. I'm a mum now, and then I've had this baby, and I'm getting used to this feeling um, because you know my muscles don't feel like the same as they did before, and I just don't, yeah, like you know, um, that must feel like this really disorientating. And then there's the the added layer of like what frustrates me is that we as women we do this miracle thing of having a baby and then it's like oh and so but you still need to look good for other people and I say good in quotation marks you know you still have to present yourself to other people and it's like that should be the least of our priorities it's like feeding nourishing look raising this child should be the focus and yet sadly people are trying to take advantage I say people diet culture and industry is trying to take advantage of women in that time and it's scandalous
1: it's so hard to it's so hard to be able to reconnect to your body without all of that noise but with that extra layer and the pressure and I've you know I've heard some like horrific stories from you know people from friends who you know their their families like it was the first question out out of their mouth and don't get me started on baby body bashing like oh. that's a whole thing can we
2: go there? because I have seen this I've witnessed this firsthand um yeah just you know people already going oh oh they're chunky and oh you know what what's their weight like blah 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 blah. and you realize like oh my goodness this really does start from birth like this obsession with weight but so much of it is projection of the people around the baby and it's just yeah you go Laura because I feel like you can speak on this on the personal and professional
1: yeah I mean it's wild like um we sent pictures of Avery, literally, like as he was lying on my chest, fresh out of the womb, you know? And um, instead of being like, oh, you know, how is everyone feeling? Or, you know, like just, you know, like, Any <laughs> other names, <laughs> what's her name? Um, it was like, oh, he's a bruiser. And I was like, it's a tiny baby. They're minuscule. <laughs> like, how are we going there already? Um, but again, I've heard absolute horror stories from, from some of my friends. Um, you know, one, one friend contacted me like really upset after having a pediatrician appointment for her daughter, her pediatrician basically said that her baby would never be able to walk because they were so big. And I was like, "Mm, no, the baby will grow and develop to support the body that they have not like it's it's wild the like how um yeah deep fat phobia goes even that we're afraid of of fatness and these chubby little babies um but there's also this really interesting double standard as well where people kind of praise and Like they like chunkiness and rolls on babies, but then when they, you know, they they get to like that year mark, and it's like, okay, well, it's not really acceptable anymore. And it's just this weird double double standard that we have for for kids' bodies. Um, And I don't know where we went so wrong that we can't just let them have the bodies that they have.
2: I want to talk about this because I completely agree with you, and I think. It's really sad that more and more, and I feel like this is so much of the fear and fear mongering around, you know, the war on childhood obesity and all the rest of it. Um, that we don't just let children be children and we already are questioning their bodies and we don't, it's almost like as parents, I say that as parents, like I'm a parent, I'm not a parent, but. You're an aunt. You know, so like parents, I'm an aunt. <laughs> parents feel like they can't trust their children because of this, this supposed epidemic that's going on. Um, and so you already have children quest- questioning their child's weight and that, you know, what they're eating and how they're moving and, you know, they're not even at school. And I just think we, I mean, we know, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, that the one of the best things we can do is like l- let a child be and like trust their bodies to figure out what, you know, how tall they're going to be, what size they're going to be, you know, I I heard some recently say like, you know, we don't have any, you know, we don't have any control over the height of a child or that, you know, whatever. Why are we so obsessed with what size, you know, what clothes size they are? It seems so interesting that we need to micromanage that. And yeah, I just, I would love to hear your thoughts on, you know, that the idea of intervening in a child, you know, under the age of 10s well any child but you know that age um with their food with their um you know levels of physical activity uh do you think there's a place for it or do you think we should
1: let children be I think I mean that's a huge question it is a huge question <laughs> I'm appreciate that. not entirely sure where we'll to start but one one thing that I just want to pick up on that you said which To me, like we at LCIE, we've just developed a course for other healthcare professionals called Raising Embodied Eaters. And it's this like sprawling, like really in-depth course that examines all of these topics and then some, and then some, and then some. Um, But one thing that we come back to like time and time again throughout that course is that the, the idea that you picked up on, which is that we don't trust children kind of interrogating like why don't we we trust children because if we and we and that's across the board but specifically when it comes to food and eating and their bodies and just allowing their bodies to be what they're going to be and for them to grow into the bodies that are right for them and yeah like where does this disconnect happen I mean there there are lots of kind of layers to it diet culture being a, a, a big disruptive factor in that kind of in that puzzle um, but it's so interesting to me because as a parent like I've, I've had to kind of navigate this for myself and it's been really interesting to see how you know even as someone who like has built a career on like unlearning diet rules like how many things i had internalized um, when it came to feeding Avery and, and, and how little I trusted him and trusted myself more importantly and how that has been a process that I've had to, um, yeah, learn to trust him. And, and what I wanted, the point that I'm trying to make here is that when we take a step back, when we just like take a deep breath, take our hands off, like our children give us so many clues as to their like trustworthiness and their reliability and like the fact that actually they have got this, like they need us, of course they need us and they need boundaries and they, you know, they need a bit of structure and, you know, all of the things that I think we'll probably touch on in terms of eating kids, but like they've got this, like we can trust our children if we can just start to like tune in and look for those cues. And And I think in the same way that Diet culture teaches us to become disconnected from our bodies, Um, you know, parenting culture at large, um, but especially like foodie parenting culture as well teaches us to be disconnected from our kids and and completely out of tune with our kids, Um, whatever. It's a bigger capitalism piece that (laughs) we're not going to go down that rabbit hole right now. But um, yeah, like the point that I'm trying to make is that if we can just tune in with their cues a little bit more, we can see, you know, we don't have to like time their feeds. We don't have to like, um, yeah, like micromanage the portion sizes on their plates or the grams of this and that and this nutrient and that nutrient. Like we don't need to get bogged down with the minutia. We can just kind of step back and I promise they're they're going to be okay. I want to really caveat that with there are children who have, feeding disorders and that's a different thing entirely Um, but you know by and large we can trust our kids to look after themselves.
2: So if we are wanting to raise our children to be intuitive eaters and this is something I'm personally already thinking about um love it
1: so <laughs> you're so organized tally like this podcast no no
2: you no no please so. no please 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 do not be under the illusion that I am organized my boyfriend jack could completely tell you the opposite um but between us I'm 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 happy to do my bit um but I it's something I am certainly thinking about and aware of um and you know wanting to you know do the best I can and raise children who have good relationships with food good relationships with their body um you know understand body diversity and you know challenge so many of the beauty and body standards that we have you know now you're doing that you're kind of in that role what what are these key points that you think that parents may be listening especially parents of young children may be listening that like these are kind of the key points to hit when you're um you know raising your children around um food especially I think let's talk about that because that really is your expertise
1: Mm. yeah like there's there's there are a few things that sort of Jump to mind and I wanna be really careful here. Um, For people who, for parents, caregivers or, you know, whatever shape or form parenting takes for you, whether you're an adoptive parent, a step-parent, you know, grandparent, whatever that means, I'm just gonna use parent as shorthand, okay? Um, It, like, it doesn't have to be perfect. First of all, I think that's really, really important because like one thing, like I was kind of peripherally, peripherally aware of this before, but now becoming a parent, like fuck, there's a lot of pressure on parents and Instagram is just riddled with like parenting experts that like know what's best for you and your family and your kids. Um, And so I just don't want to fall into that trap and I want to just, um, Remind parents that, like you know, your family, you know your kid best, and um, and I trust you to do what's best for them in terms of helping support them navigate diet culture and um, and and raise them to have like a, a good relate a, a healthy relationship, a positive relationship with food. So that's the first thing. Is like I just don't want to pile more pressure onto parents. Um, but I think probably the single most important thing. Yeah. someone could do if they want to support their kids to have a a good relationship with food is to do their own work and to do Mm. their own you know go on their own process of learning around intuitive eating and again it doesn't need to be perfect like you don't have to have all your shit together around food um there is definitely an element of like it's it's totally fine to fake it until you make it so an example of that is like maybe you don't feel great about your body all the time. And um, that's fine. Like everyone has those days, Um, but what you can do to help protect your kids is like not speak disparagingly about your body in front of them, not diet in front of them. So even if that's, you know, stuff that you are still working through for yourself, um, you know, buffering them, protecting them from that. Another thing, and it kind of relates to like the perfectionism piece is um, I'm always asked like, oh, what should I say to like this family member if they're talking about diets in front of my kids? Or what should I say if like grandma says she's fat in front of, you know, little Johnny? And there are all these things, again, on social media, I see a lot of um, like these scripts that you kind of can memorize and then like regurgitate on the spot. And like I don't know about you, but... I can never remember them. <laughs> like even with the best of like like trying to memorize them, it just doesn't. It just doesn't work. And and I think it like speaks to this idea that actually it doesn't matter so much what you say in the moment. Um, it's great if you can disrupt um, anti-fatness like right there on the spot. Um, but you know if you have to have that conversation with your kid like down the line um you know you could like that that's great too in fact that's probably more important um is not that like they see you getting into confrontation with someone but that they that you can go off and, and sort of unpack that together and say oh hey remember um earlier when grandma said that like you've I don't know, beefed up or whatever like weird things grandma said about your kid's body. Um how did that make you feel? Like what what did you what did you think about um when she said that? And just like under understand what the kids' experience of it was, because I think so often we assume that like, you know, there this is this like been this traumatic event for the child, but actually maybe they are more like. Up about diet culture and anti-fatness, then we give them credit for. So, can we like check in with them on that first before making those assumptions? So, yeah, um, working on your own relationship with food um, doesn't have to be perfect. And also, just like continuing to have those conversations about not just diversity in terms of shape and size, but also around gender and race and neurodiversity and disability and, and talking about you know the diversity of humans um as a whole um not just kind of this myopic focus on weight and shape um so yeah those are that's where I would like start and I know that's not like talking about the the logistics of feeding a kid which I'm happy to get into but yeah that's those I think are key points
2: I really like that point of maybe you know speaking in hindsight and saying like oh that was a really interesting thing that person said rather than feeling like you're getting into it in the moment because I often too feel sort of taken aback or a bit flustered and and don't have a chance to fully always process and always go oh I should have said that I should have that was that would have been a good thing if I said that um so I think that's always of the good facts
1: like two
2: hours later always and one thing I wanted to add to what you're saying is, um, I don't know if you um, know Glennon Doyle's work. I love her, and I love her podcast. And she did a po- she had a someone phone in about a similar topic of, you know, people are teasing my child at school over their weight because we do know that that is one of the number one um, causes of bullying um, in schools, which is just awful. And her advice, which I thought was just really lovely, was that. And I can't think this relates to kind of other people's comments is like outside of your home, there are so many uncontrollables and to think we can control each environment and, you know, always preempt what someone might say or, or, you know, you know, we know that that's something that's just we can't do. So take the pressure off yourself to feel like you're going to get it right once you leave your front door. but you can in your home make it very clear how you might feel about bodies, how you feel about weight, you know, you know, the family values and that um, especially with a child, like you can, you can, you know, just reinforce to them that you think they're perfect just as they are and that they are, you know, they are loved and perfect and they are wonderful. And, um, but sadly, you like I said, you can't control school environments. You can't control, you know grandparents even you can't control all those things but you can control what you're doing and I thought that was a really um reassuring answer of like it felt like a very applicable thing to to real world um we're getting to the point where I would love to open it up for questions so I have a couple of questions um here but I would and in fact this this question I have here which is from Gia um, I think I said that correctly. You sent it in. Would you like me to read it, or would you like to say it? You don't have to read what you sent in, but just a rough question because this really relates to the topic we were just on.
3: Oh well, I can uh, I can read. Well, I can read it, out or I can yeah, ask the it. question.
0: Go for it. Yeah.
3: So, um, I, yeah, I was listening to this. Um, I don't have any kids, but I have a lot of nephews and nieces. And I can see, um, like at birthday parties or dinners, whatever, I can, I can sort of see the, the diet culture um, chats coming up. But of course, they're not my kids, so I can't really say anything about it. Although, at one point, I did make a comment that, I, that didn't take me two days to think <laughs> about. But it was my birthday, so they're in my house. And I said, we're not, you're not allowed to talk about calories here when I was uh, serving the cake. That worked really well. But most of the time, I just—it's not my kid, so I, I yeah, I, I really can't say anything. But I, I do want to sort of share, and I want to, I want to, I want to sort of protect them or or be able to help them sort of um, not fall into all of the diet culture um, traps. Um, so yeah, um, <laughs> any any advice on how to deal with that, or should you just let it go? Because you know, talking about how other people are raising their kids is always um yeah dangerous territory
1: yeah i'm i'm so conflicted about this one cuz like i've got the like nutritionist sort of anti diet culture side of me that's like ah! <laughs> um and then the parent side of me that's like you, like you can't interfere with how other people are parenting their children um so yeah there, it's definitely a tricky one um and I think like what I would want to know is, you know, like kind of how old they are and um, you know, how much they're like really aware of what's going on and and also like how much time you spend together and you know, how much part, cause like you could be really, really involved in that family um, or you could be like, you see them a couple of times a year sort of thing. So like, I think that that can dictate m- maybe this answer a little bit um but yeah I agree by and large you can't you can't tell people how to parent their kids um sometimes like if if it's a situation where like there's all this food talk and like it's just a hot mess sometimes I'll be like whoa who called the food police just to like kind of try and diffuse the situation a little bit um just to try and like be playful and light-hearted and just sort of raise people's awareness that actually okay yeah we're talking a lot about food here and that's kind of not cool um but I think as a also as a an aunt um I think about this a lot like how I can sort of be a safe space for um my nieces and nephews and you you know like (laughs) since I might get into trouble for saying this but um once my nephew came over and he was staying with us and the first thing he asked me for he was like auntie laura can we have naughties i was like what's a naughty and um he's like like crisps and cookies and sweets and this kid was like kind of <laughs> it was um it was really really keen for um to get his hands on it. And and I just, I, I tried to be really neutral and calm and, and sort of say, you know, unpack with him, well, what does that mean? And I just reassured him that, yeah, you know, we're, we're gonna have some um, some cookies and, um, you know, we're gonna bake them together. And that was like our activity that I would planned for us anyway. And, and I said, but I, I don't think that they're naughty and I don't think you're naughty for eating them. Um, and so just kind of provided that reassurance and that comfort and again, try to be um a safe space um and just to, to kind of always i guess role model having a having a good relationship with food and, and my body and not speaking disparagingly about food and um also you know with the hope that if they are ever struggling with food or their body that they might be able to come to me with that um, and the other thing that i was thinking just like on a super practical level i don't know how comfortable you with this but like just getting in like books and gifts and things that are you know like i can recommend some body positive books and and stuff like that that you could give as gifts depending on the age of the kid that's where i'd be trying to like get in there and again depending on the relationship you have with their parents um you know you could you could say something like oh i was listening to this great podcast like um and you know they, they were talking about you know raising body confident children or something like that and um through like talia i know you've done some i've got some on my podcast as well that just kind of go through like all of the that background and so yeah if they're open to hearing something like that that's maybe how i'd like work it in yeah
2: yeah i've, I've already started on like the feminist books you know like get mm-hmm. them in young <laughs> if they're getting a gift from me it's going to be yeah something to do with that just so as laura said like just so that like if they have questions about it or they feel whatever they could always come to you that's just the the kind of thing i have felt i can do you know but try not to not interfere and not you know stand back and let them do their thing um next up i think dawn had a question so if dawn you'd like to um ask your question take it away
0: Thanks, Tally. Hi, Laura. Um, I just will say, actually, first of all, I quite like Gia to be my daughter's auntie because uh, I'd love to know if <laughs> she had a lot like that. Oh. Um, I um, wanted to ask. So it's clear. Oh, it's clear to me, anyhow. I'm um, going through kind of my own pr- process in trying to um, kind of not not live uh, with the rules of diet culture. That. Um, a lot of the behavior that we can see um, between families and children and how people react to children and children's bodies is as a result of diet culture and of fat phobia. But I wondered if you would agree that um, particularly off the back of Tally's um, comment about, um, you know, weight and appearance being kind of one of the biggest causes of, of school bullying or school age bullying is actually a lot of the behavior that, um, that we see, particularly from caregivers, parents, and guardians, that actually it's more about trying to protect the child, um, because they see how those um, beliefs around you know fat being bad, and um, and maybe having experienced their own you know their own experiences of how others have reacted to to their body in a negative way actually they're behaving in a way that they think is protective of their child they're trying to keep their child uh, and I'm really simplifying here but like keep the child slim so they don't experience those negative um, negative experiences and then obviously that just kind of perpetuates this this cycle and I just would really be interested to hear your your take on that
1: yeah so I think if I'm following your train of thought here you're talking about parents who are caregivers in whatever shape or form that takes that they've had their own maybe difficulties difficult experiences maybe they themselves were bullied or teased as kids and so now they're trying to protect their own children
0: from that is that yeah I'm understanding you yeah but also maybe maybe they've not necessarily experienced it but maybe they've witnessed others um go through difficult experiences as a result of their appearance and therefore want to protect their child from what they have seen.
1: Yeah yeah I think what you're naming here is sort of internalized anti-fatness and kind of I mean this idea that in order to protect our children from weight-based stigma that we have to keep them thin Um, we have to keep shrink their bodies and actually That is literally one of the recommendations in the the World Health Organization guidelines um, around weight stigma is something, it's like very victim blaming and it's very much like, you know, in order to end weight stigma and all the the knock-on effects that it has for our children, you know, that's like, that's the impetus for um, keeping, you know, keeping children's weight down rather than us like changing the culture and really yeah like changing policies and and um yeah working on our our beliefs and attitudes around bodies um so yeah i don't i agree with you and i think the other thing that was kind of coming to mind and i'm not sure if it's like exactly what you were asking about but um i think about as well the experiences of fat parents um who are having to maybe they're they're trying to navigate the like the concept of raising an intuitive eater and, and be, you know having a kid who's body positive, um, but they're being told by their GP, their health visitor, the school nurse, whoever else, that like it would be a tragedy if their child's body ended up looking like their parents and how, like, what a difficult position that puts fat parents in, um, that, like, they're having their parenting and their feeding practices and, and everything that they're doing around kids, like, this, the extra layer of scrutiny on those parents that, as a straight-sized parent, I don't, as a straight-sized parent of a straight-sized child that I don't experience. Um, so I'm not sure if that speaks exactly to the point that you were trying to make, but... Um, one thing that we you know i talked about the course that we've developed at, at lcie and, and one thing or one of the modules within those courses is around schools and nurseries and, and other sets childcare settings essentially and one of the things that we feel quite strongly about doing is that if there's an anti-bullying policy in place at your school or your nursery or whatever like brownies scouts swimming club whatever it is that you make sure that weight-based bullying and teasing is part of that um, bullying policy that it's not a comprehensive policy unless it includes that and that can be one way that we can start to on a really like systematic structural level start to address and disrupt um, that intergenerational transmission of body hatred and low body esteem. Does that answer, like, kind of speak to what you
0: were <laughs> Yeah, completely. Um, yeah, how you just um, summarised at the end there is exactly kind of, I think, the way I look at it as a fat parent myself and as a child that's kind of getting ready to go to secondary school um, I think absolutely I felt that I had maybe perpetuated it myself because of my own experiences um, and witnessing those of others. But I just really wanted to kind of I think the thing is, is how do you break that? How do you stop the cycle? Um, and I feel I've been able to, to do that. Um, And in fact, when my daughter was about eight, I remember she asked if she could have whatever it was to eat. And um, and I said, yeah, of course. And then I kind of pulled her to one side and I said, you know, you know, if you're hungry, you know, if you're full, you know what you fancy. So you like you listen to your body. And very unexpectedly, she literally threw her arms around me and just gave me the biggest hug. Um, and unbeknownst to me, what I'd done is given permission that she very much wanted. So, um, but I think, yeah, on a, on a bigger scale, it was like trying to, uh, trying to say, well, how can we try and break that cycle? And I think what you've done is explained a way that if you can incorporate, um, like you say, you know, um, zero tolerance with weight, common uh, weight related bullying if you can get that as part of that it's kind of rather than maybe trying to work with people that have already experienced it you're kind of trying to get in early to you know for the next generations to um, not even learn diet culture so they don't have to unlearn it I've necessarily articulated that very well but
1: (laughs) I just I I just wanted to say like I feel myself well up when you talked about that story with your daughter is so powerful that what you've done is you've said it's exactly what we were talking about at the beginning. You're saying, I trust you and that like she needed to hear that. And, and it's clearly done like something amazing for her. Um, So like, yeah, I don't have all the answers in terms of how we break this cycle. Um, But yeah, letting your children know, I trust you and I trust you around food and I trust you to make good decisions to nourish your body. Like, how many of us would have loved to have heard you know heard that at some point yeah so like yeah it's it's incredible I'm sure Tally has lots of thoughts on that as well
2: I just really appreciate you sharing that you know real example of how this all kind of is in the real world and like with parenting um and I think it's lovely that you're you have that relationship with your daughter and that you know she feels that with you and you know that is like Laura said, that is doing the work yourself and then passing on. And I think, you know, so much of the feedback I get from people is often when they're embarking on their own journey with healing food and, and, you know, their body and and movement is I want to do this. So I don't pass on to my kids. And I think that is such a huge motivate motivating factor for so many people to really like give this stuff a go and really unpack all the layers that come with it. And so yeah you've just kind of you know that is why we're doing it and um it's really really lovely you've shared that. Do we have any more questions for Laura? If you do you can either pop it in the chat box or feel free to um unmute yourself and just go for it.
1: Hi yeah um I've got one question for Laura. Um so my little boys are just coming out for 4 months now. Um so I'm really starting to think about kind of the weaning kind of thing. Um, I can already see that he's like so interested in food like it's really amazing to watch he like stares at me eating and he like copies my chewing Um so I can see you know like he's he's already getting ready to get started and it's really important to me I think you know like the more I listen to your podcast
2: that I want to get him eating intuitively from this intuitively sorry from the start Um so I just wondered if Laura had any thoughts on you know, like where to go with that is, is baby led weaning the best way to go? Um, and is there any maybe particular
1: resources that you could recommend? Before I get started, I don't want to kind of waste my time on, on um, books that are not worth reading, because I don't really have the time for that. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of books that are not worth reading. Let me just grab, I've got my um, bookshelf over there. Um, so when it comes to weaning um it's like we think of we think of weaning as like an introducing solids as kind of like it's just a thing that we have to do right to like get our kids onto to to solid foods um and we kind of think of it as sort of unrelated to their broader relationship with food right because we think like infants doesn't really matter so much but actually that relationship like you're imprinting your relationship the feeding relationship that you have with your child right from the beginning like even from milk feeding onwards um so I think it's really great like really cool that you're thinking about this like right from the get-go there is a lot of shit out there when it comes to weaning um a lot of noise that you really just need to tune out because it's really unhelpful and this debate around like purees or baby-led weaning and finger foods—it's kind of um, sort of irrelevant in a lot of ways. Um, and what I mean by that is, it doesn't as long as you're moving a, a kid through different textures, um, whether it's they're spoon-fed or whether they're they're self-feeding, is Um, is less important than how they're being fed and how you're responding to their cues. And so we call this responsive feeding. Um, And essentially what that means is, is being again in tune and, and in touch with, um, you know, your baby's cues for hunger and for fullness, but not just that it's broader than that. So like being in touch with their emotional cues around food. So making sure that when you're feeding them, that they're not, really tired or like really overstimulated or really distressed about something because then they start to have negative connotations around eating so um as much as possible like trying to have fun with with weaning let them make a mess let them get it all over their hands and their face even if you are doing spoon feeding Um, and I just I really want to like clarify because I think a lot of people in the world have been intuitive eating in particular are like, yeah, baby lab eating all the way. And just to flag that that's a quite an ableist um, concept because not all, a lot of babies can eat, like they have the mechanical um, ability to chew and swallow, but that they can't, you know, they don't maybe don't have the, the, um, the motor skills to be able to bring it to their mouths. So um, there, and there are also some babies who might need to be weaned at a slightly earlier age, um, to help prevent allergies, for example, before they have the ability to put um, foods straight in their mouth. So I just one, that's kind of a bugbear of mine. Anyway, that said, <laughs> all of that said, this book um, called Born to Eat. It's written by two American dietitians, and it uses the division of responsibility, and it is um, aligned with intuitive eating. It is more of the self-feeding kind of book so if you want to go down that route you can but just remember that um whether you're doing purees or um uh, finger foods to progress through textures so that they can sounds like a really weird thing but it is really important for um to make sure that they they learn the the oral motor skills to um to eat properly this idea that um we're born as intuitive eaters i kind of take issue with a little bit because although we have strong instincts around hunger and fullness the actual process of learning to eat is quite complicated and can take 2 to 3 years for a child to have developed all of the oral motor skills that they need to eat properly um but yeah this this book is really good it's aligned with intuitive eating but the the most important point is that you're responsive to their hunger and fullness cues and their emotional cues and the other thing that i would say is to take a pediatric first aid course because um, you need to be able to differentiate between gagging and choking. And if you're really nervous about your child choking and you're not sure what you're gonna do, that child picks up on that anxiety around food and that can actually lead them to eat fewer foods and potentially, have more serious problems with food as they as they get older. So um, all babies gag, it's totally normal. It's a really important skill actually for them. Well, it's a reflex, but it, the, the gagging is just protecting their, their airway and um, they're gonna do it. It's important that they know how to do that so that they can learn like, okay, I can protect my airway and I, I'm not scared by it basically. Anyway, this is all fresh in my memory because we've just done meaning. So I'm going to like to, to um, put a pen in it there. But yeah, this book Born to Eat um, by Leslie Schilling and Wendy Jo Pearson is my favorite meaning book. Don't need any of the other ones. Fab.
2: Thank you. It goes without saying that we'll be put in the show notes for everyone listening as well. So they know what book um, Laura's recommending and, and where to get it. Laura, I have to finish the episode by asking you
1: because we're going to have to wrap oh. it up. Um, I've loved all this. I thought questions. you were just going to be like, sorry, we have to finish and then
3: have to
2: go. <laughs> no, no, no. But we're do um, all <clears throat> I've loved all these questions so far. And before we go, we finish every episode by asking our guest, what has been your most recent train happy moment?
1: Okay, I am really, I'm really happy that you're asking me this right now because I've been carrying a lot of guilt about how at at your launch party I didn't write down my train happy moment at your book launch so thank you for asking my train happy moment um and it's not because I didn't want to write anything down I just was like talking to people you know um I felt like your book launch party was like for me to like catch up with all my friends because Seen in a long time, um, so thank you for throwing that party for me. Um, but yeah, so my train happy moment is I have been um, really enjoying going to the Lido lately, and I think I said this last time that we went. <laughs> that you asked me this, but um, last time you asked me, I was pregnant, and I'm obviously not pregnant now. Um, and it's just. I just have really been enjoying going to the Lido. So for anyone who doesn't know Lido, it's like an open air swimming pool. Um, it's like, I think of quite a specifically English thing. And I've been loving going, particularly at this time of year when it's like really cold and then getting into the water and the water feels warm relative to outside. And just, I've been going at night a lot as well. And have just been loving kind of how the pool is kind of all steamy and lit up and um it's just very meditative but even during the day when I get to go I love just like watching the sky and looking at the trees and how the cha- the trees change during the season so I also got a really cool new leopard print swimsuit which I'm loving so that's my train happening what's yours
2: well mine is I suppose today I've made the commitment to myself I'm gonna start working on my press-ups because I went to demonstrate one for a client yesterday, and it was a lot harder than it used to be. <laughs> and I thought, you know what, I really want to work on that. That's something I know I can do at home. I don't need any equipment for it. I can just do it on my own. So that's kind of my train happy moment today is, is starting that again and seeing how I go. Um, so yeah, that's been mine today. Laura, it's been wonderful for everyone listening. Where can they find you? Where can they support you? And where can they learn more about your perspective on motherhood and children and feeding and weaning and all that stuff?
1: Yeah, so, okay, I'm like all over the place, um, literally and metaphorically. But my ch- child feeding Instagram account is uh, Bub appetite, So it's B-U-B dot Appetit. Is there a dot in the middle? I might have made that up. We can hopefully link to that in the show notes. Um, my main Instagram account is at Laura Thomas PhD and then um, at London Centre for Intuitive Eating, which is at intuitive eating LDN on Instagram or just London Centre for Intuitive Eating.co.uk. So, yeah, all of those places. And Don't Stop My Game podcast, it's
2: coming back. It's coming back and I want to send everyone, now you've listened to this episode, please head over to Don't Salt My Game, Laura's podcast, because you're going to hear uh, an interview with me. Um, Yeah, we'll send everyone there now.
1: (laughs) right now. All right, thank you for having me.
2: My pleasure. And that is it for this week's episode of the Train Happy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you took something away from this episode. And if you did, please let me know by sending feedback. You can find us on Instagram at Train Happy Podcast, Or even better, it would be amazing if you could rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you're listening, as it really, really helps to support and boost the Train Happy message. And remember, if you have had a recent moment where this stuff has just started clicking for you, then share your story with us via email, trainhappypodcast at gmail.com to become the Train Happy Trooper of the week. And if you have a burning question you would like me to answer, then please send those in too, and it may be answered in our bonus Q&A episodes. Once again, thank you for listening, and I will speak to you soon.